0: all and welcome to the Courageous Path podcast with me Rachel Horton White and Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. You can learn more about me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com and don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast here to get the latest interviews as they come up. I'm an intuitive coach, spiritual teacher and writer. I work with people searching to uncover who they really are and what they're meant to be doing. Merging the spiritual with the everyday through thoughts, emotions and energy. I support people like you to break through stuck patterns and find your true inner self. I hope you enjoy today's interview. I am so excited to share an interview with Jonah Fertig, who I first met when he was founding Local Sprouts, a local cooperative restaurant and cafe in Portland, Maine, and was so inspired by uh, what he had been doing there to create that. So today I'm delighted to share an interview I conducted with Jonah called From Capitalist to Communal how cooperatives can transform our economy. Jonah Fertig is the Director of Cooperative Food Systems at the Cooperative Development Institute. He works with farmers, food producers, cooks, distributors, and community members to develop democratic businesses. He is a co-founder and board member of the Maine Farm and Sea Cooperative and has served as a development coordinator for the nation's first farm and sea-to-institution cooperative. He also works with New American farmers, assisting them in developing cooperatives, and helps Somali Bantu farmers in Lewiston form New Roots Cooperative, the first New American-owned cooperative and farm in Maine. He currently sits on the board of the Cooperative Fund of New England and the steering committee of the Maine Food Strategy. Previously, he co-founded Local Sprouts Cooperative in Portland, Maine, and helped develop it into a successful worker-owned cafe. He has been involved in community gardening, organizing in Portland and New York City, and has taught gardening and cooking in schools and after-school programs in the Portland area since 2003. He also co-founded the Greater Portland Community Land Trust The Mayor's Initiative for a Healthy and Sustainable Food System, and the Cooperative Design Lab. He is a speaker at statewide, regional, and national conferences about cooperatives in the food system. He was a 2016 Democracy at Work Institute Worker Cooperative Fellow, a current USFWC-DAWI Chapter Network Fellow, a member of the Democracy at Work Network, and a graduate of the Sustainable Food Systems Leadership Institute with his partner and two kids at Celebration Tree Farm and Yoga in Durham, Maine. Hope you enjoy this fascinating interview with Jonah. Good morning, Jonah. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It's wonderful to talk with you. Um, I had run into you recently in your new home uh, in Maine and was remembering all of the work that you've done in, in um, building community and helping to particularly help people generate cooperatives and land trusts and, and some incredible transformational work you, you're doing in Maine and, and and around the country. So I was hoping to talk with you today about that and to hear a bit about um, your story in, in getting to this work in the first place so you know, you have this reputation in Maine um, as a visionary and a leader and a creator of systems and um, so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your desire to do this work and how you kind of came to this in the first place
1: well I grew up in Maine and um, food was always a part of my life I was Cooking and grew up gardening with my mom. Um, And I loved, yeah, I loved to cook. Um, I loved how food could bring family together, bring friends together, uh, and bring community together. And when I moved to New York City uh, for college, uh, I continued to get involved in different um, issues, activism there. Uh, and, and a lot of it didn't really necessarily uh, excite me, although I was passionate about some of the issues I was involved in. I was, wasn't was feeling excited about just going to another, going to protests or writing letters um, or, you know, holding a sign up. Although, you know, those are really important things to do. Uh, what really inspired me is when I got involved in community gardens in New York City in, in 1999. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, uh, Mayor Rudolph Giuliani wanted to bulldoze 700 community gardens. Uh, And these were community gardens that were started by different communities uh, throughout the city in the South Bronx, in the Lower East Side, uh, in Brooklyn, and a lot of them were started by Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, people of color, immigrants that were coming together to uh, create these oasises amongst uh, all the, the buildings and the concrete, taking over vacant lots and reclaiming them for community. Uh, and so there are places where people grew food, where the community gathered, where there'd be potlucks, where people would come together on a Sunday afternoon to play music or dominoes or you know, just really connect as a community. And when uh, Giuliani wanted to bulldoze these gardens, he was really trying to tear out the heart of these communities. And yeah. so I got involved with a group called More Gardens Coalition, yeah. which not only was trying to save the gardens, but really saying, hey, we want more of them. You know, we wanna see a city where gardens play an integral role in the life of this city and that um, you know, we we need to eat. Um and, and, and community gardens play a role in, in providing food, but also really um empowering us and connecting us together. And so um one of the ways that they uh worked to um fight Giuliani and the bulldozing of the gardens was using art and puppetry uh and involving that in direct action. So um, blocking, blocking roads with colorful displays of <laughs> uh, people in pea costumes and sunflower <laughs> hats. And um, you know, it was very inspiring to yeah. see how art and activism could come together um, and, and community come together to really build a movement there. And that movement was successful in uh, stopping the sale of 700 community gardens and the bulldozing of 700 community gardens. Um, awesome. And so these gardens were preserved.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome.
1: That really um, has continued to stay with me as a um, real inspirational moment. Um, again, not to to just be in a defensive saving place, but really saying, "Hey, what do we want? You know, yes. what is what's our vision for our community? Yes, uh, and how do we create that? And how do we create that through um, through direct action, doing things to to both stop what's going on, but also really to be creating what we want together." Yes. Um, and so it was during, um, during that work that I, um, learned more about some of the forest activism, um, happening out West. Um, also started to learn more about, um, the role of corporations in, uh, globalization. And, um, at that point in time, Mm -hmm. there was work going on around, um, the group of eight nations, the G8. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there was work. It was, it was called the Carnival Against Capitalism, and there was um, there was street protests, but really street parties all over the world um, mm-hmm. that were both protesting this but celebrating people's power. And that was um, a real inspiration to me to get involved, um, you know, and, and broaden my work from community gardens into um, going out west and getting involved in forest activism um, out there, mm-hmm. and then also. Um, going to the World Trade Organization protests in Seattle in 1999, where um, thousands of people from all different movements in the U.S. and even globally came together to oppose the World Trade Organization and its and um, its agenda for globalization, and really yeah. assert the the power of people on the planet over profit. Yeah. Uh, and to see these different movements coming together um, was incredibly inspiring and. Um, really has helped to guide a lot of my work uh, to this day where, you know, I see how we can't just uh, operate in, in silos and, and kind of look at just narrow visions of, of change, but we need to really look at holistic uh, approaches to social change that, um, you know, both working to strengthen our communities, uh, respect, you know, our, our natural environment and, you know, our, our planet, um, empower people, uh, and, you know, and, and through all this also celebrate, you know, celebrate what we are creating and celebrate one another, um, and really honor that in, in our, in the work we do.
0: Yeah. That's so awesome. I just love, especially what you were saying about creating what we want and, and just like with the, I just picture these pup, the, I've seen some of the puppets, um, at least I think you're probably involved with some of that in Portland, Maine, but it's like it's really rooted in love and this positive aspect instead of, you know, the fighting, which and fighting against. So, um, so thank you for helping to be part of that. It's so inspiring. Yeah. And fighting,
1: you know, fighting against uh, different forces of injustice and oppression, I mean, has an important role. Yeah. And yet, if we, you know, if we stay stuck in just a fighting mode, we can't right. get into a place of really really visioning and creating what we right. want. Well and, then we're
0: right. Yeah.
1: And that's so and that's so important that we, you know, put forward these visions um that really can hopefully provide solutions to the mm-hmm. the challenges we face in our society and our world today.
0: Yeah, instead of reacting to what people other people let it's like taking the power back from letting other people decide and then reacting to it but saying this is what we want. So beautiful. Yeah. You're just—you seem to embody the concept of um, think globally, act locally. You know, I think a lot of people see, like, you know, the system that you just described, and tend to feel overwhelmed and just, you know, like defeated or helpless. But what you've done is, uh, from what I know, at least from what you've done in Maine, is you've you've done something about it. Like you've started things and gotten movement going, and that is uh, an incredible skill. (laughs) And it takes a lot of courage.
1: It is, uh, it's been a lot of challenges to create those local, um, local projects. I mean, and, and since I moved back to Maine in 2002, I've worked on a variety of different projects, um, that have been evolving and growing and, and, and I continue to learn through that work. Um, but definitely recognize the importance of, of creating things locally. Uh, here in Maine, and looking at those though in a broader context of you know issues in the state or issues in the country or global issues, and you know recognizing that we can't change those global issues overnight, but what we can do is create new possibilities in our communities and better relationships in our communities that can make a difference now and can make a difference today. You know, so mm-hmm. really important to think to build those while we continue to really work towards transforming these larger systems.
0: Mm -hmm. So I, I, the thing that keeps standing out for me that, that you really, it was you that was the brain behind this is the local Sprouts cooperative. And I remember (laughs) running into you when you were working on this and um, I'm just wondering, you know, how did you get the idea for that and Portland and how did you know how did that come about how did you start if somebody's I'm asking because I'm thinking if somebody else wanted to start a cooperative similar to local sprouts maybe you can explain what it is um how would they do that you know how can they learn from how you how you did it yeah
1: so local sprouts we started in 2007 so about 10 years ago and uh at that time I was organizing a project called the people's free space uh which we were yes uh, we had a community space in the kitchen. We had a library. We offered free workshops. And uh, in addition to that work, I, was also, I worked uh, at Preble Street Food Pantry and um, had worked in restaurants. So I really wanted to take that work of building community, working with food, and also education, um, really creating opportunities for people to learn through cooking with local foods. Uh, and bring so I wanted to bring those things together, and uh, through that, those different ideas, uh, just one night had the idea to create what was originally we were envisioning as a learning cafe, a place where people could uh, learn through cooking local foods and create and learn about cooperatives. And so that that vision evolved into Local Sprouts Cooperative. Um, folks that were a part of the People's Free Space uh, helped to. Birth that idea. It was originally a project of that, and then mm-hmm. um, we decided to form it into a worker-owned cooperative. Um, the People's Free Space we had been organizing collectively, really trying to engage people in decision making together, and so to bring that into a structure, we uh, decided to create it as a legal worker-owned cooperative. So there was uh, four of us that started it together and uh, owned it originally. And we then grew that cooperative over time First, starting a community support kitchen and doing catering and teaching. Uh, And then through really building community support, uh, we were able to open our cafe in 2010. Uh, And so it's been seven years. It's evolved and grown. And uh, I left the business three years ago to work to help other people create cooperatives in the food system. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's now... Uh, worker, there's about I think around seven or eight worker owners that own the business together and democratically govern the business and work to manage the business together um, in participatory ways. Um, so it's it continues on with, and um, it's yeah one of project that you know was a part of and and really helping to move forward for quite a while and now really. Um, Excited to continue to help other cooperatives form in Maine and and bring that into other communities um, here in the state.
0: That's That's wonderful. wonderful. So people people that that may not know exactly how a cooperative works, works, can you describe how it's different from a traditional business in terms of seven people? It's like if somebody's – that sounds like a lot of people, and it sounds like it might be complicated, but how does that work in terms of the profits? Is there anybody – kind of making any profit or I mean if it's shared, yeah, can you just describe a little more about how, how it's set up?
1: Yeah, so cooperatives are businesses that are owned by groups of people uh, and mm-hmm. so those groups of people can vary depending on what their needs are and so they, um, we sometimes would refer to, it's a member owned business and so um, it's based on what, what the members needs are, so if, in the case of Local Sprouts, the need to uh, have a job and to make, make a living and, and to provide food for the community. And, um, another example of like the Portland food co-op is a consumer food co-op that people who buy food from the store can be, be an owner of that, um, credit unions. A lot of people are members of credit unions. Those Those are financial, financial cooperatives where people who, um, Have a checking or savings account that are also owners of the credit union as well. So they're owned by members. um, And we generally kind of divide those members up as there's worker-owned cooperatives, there's consumer-owned cooperatives, so like the credit union or food co-op are consumer-owned, and then uh, producer-owned cooperatives, um, like often found as farmer-owned cooperatives, like Cabot Cheese or Organic Valley or Ocean Spray. Um, and then, then there's cooperatives that also own, um, other cooperatives that are owned by businesses as well. Um, so like actually Ace Hardware is a, a brand that's owned by individual hardware stores. Um,
0: oh, interesting. So,
1: and then another, actually back to the producer cooperatives too. Um, like in Maine we have lobstering co-ops and so we actually have 20 lobstering co-ops in the state. Um, mm. so there's, there's a variety of different forms of co-ops, um, and I mean, really, in many ways, cooperative cooperatives have been around for forever. I mean, in that communities have worked together to meet their needs, um, not necessarily in a formal legal cooperative like we have today, but that's how communities have met their needs together. Whether it's you know uh, producing food together or building houses together. I mean, I often think of the barn raising as a classic example of cooperation. Um, mm. And but the the Formal structure of cooperatives uh, started in the mid 19th century uh, here in the U.S. and in Europe, um, and in various places throughout the world, really, where um, people started to organize legally um, and create businesses that were owned by groups of people. And um, the here in the U.S., the Grange movement were early proponents. So, Grange halls that many people are aware of, those those Grange movement that was a part of those helped farmers start cooperatives to meet their needs. Um, and yeah. then cooperatives also started in the labor movement as well. So there's been a long history of cooperatives in this country. And um, cooperatives share a set of principles. So there's seven international principles of cooperatives, which include member democratic control, um, member economic participation, concern for community and cooperation amongst cooperatives. And so, really, cooperatives that in that last principle I just mentioned, really looking at how we can create an economy that's not based just upon competition, but really is based upon meeting our mutual needs. Um, and cooperatives also really look at not only our needs today, but also our aspirations as well. So, really looking at what do we want to create in the future and how do those meet, you know, for. Our common economic goals or social goals, and, and how do we um, create structures that support our cultures as well in our communities?
0: Yeah. yeah. Not, that sounds really wonderful. It's like the, um, I have a friend who calls it consciouspreneur, like an entrepreneur with a conscience. It's like the embodiment of that. So I'm just thinking of like if somebody's listening to this who may be a traditional business owner of a small business and, but who wants to, um, become a cooperative, they, and they're interested in this, but they might be thinking, well, how, how can you, you know, make a living from it with when you're sharing? I mean, cause you know, the sense of member owned, and I know it's, you know, with a traditional company and you get, you know, the shareholders get dividends right from the profits. So, I mean, and, and I guess, you know, for small businesses, it's different, because you don't necessarily have shareholders unless you have investors. But um, how can somebody who might be worried about the whole, you know, making a profit or you know supporting themselves or their families from a business, how can they, how could they move to a cooperative model and have those kind of worries be allayed?
1: <laughs> well, so the organization I work with now, the Cooperative Development Institute. Uh, we're mm-hmm. So we're a regional organization that works with uh, cooperatives um, throughout the Northeast um, around food, housing, employee ownership. And so we actually work with a lot of business owners that um, are exploring converting their business into a worker-owned cooperative. And mm-hmm. um, so in that setting, what the business owner uh, who – might be looking to retire or might be looking just to, to sell their business or maybe looking to just bring their workers into ownership, you know, really, Mm -hmm. you know, share in more of a partnership with the rest of the employees of the business. Um, And uh, so in that process of converting that business into a worker owned cooperative, uh, we do work both with that owner to really, for them to understand what that transition could look like, and to develop a value for their business, um, and you know, really look at what their vision for the future of the business is. And we work with the the employees as well to understand what a cooperative is and the rights and responsibilities around that, and then how to um, get the funding and financing they need to basically buy that business from the owner, the original owner, uh, mm-hmm. and so. That in that sense, I mean, if a business business owner is looking to convert to a cooperative, it's something where they actually they're actually kind of selling that business selling that business to their workers, um, okay? Because it becomes then owned by a new group of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, in in a cooperative, there's profit. We often call it surplus in a cooperative, and that profit is shared by the owners. Um, and that's based upon uh, basically what they're putting into the cooperative. So, if they work more hours than another worker, that worker might get more share of the profit. Um, and each each cooperative decides differently how they want to sh- share and distribute their profits. But there's shared pro- shared profits amongst the owners of the cooperative. Um, so you know it still can be a successful business and. I mean, there's definitely various examples of cooperatives where people make more in that cooperative than they would if they were uh, working in a traditionally owned business. Uh, particularly in some low-income industries like cleaning and home care, um, and some cooperatives that form those industries have really improved the uh, livelihoods and um, of of the workers.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's so helpful because it's it kind of breaks it down and. Um, for people to see that it actually can work, and it can be, you know, in terms of, I, I imagine that it just helps with um, reducing turnover, and, 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 and you know, from that perspective of, well, what's in it for me? You know, some people might be thinking that it's like it's the good, the right thing to do, obviously, but it probably also helps people just feel more valued, and then therefore more productive, and um, just doing better work for that for that company because they feel like they're um, that they're valued. I imagine if there's an owner yeah, when you, uh, or as a co-owner, when you
1: have an ownership stake in the company, you're going to put more care and concern in that company because it's yours. Um, right. and you know, and then you, if the company, uh, does well and has a profit in the, the year, then you benefit from it just as well. You know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really important. Um, you know, and, and then also, I mean, just culturally too, cooperatives, generally you know, try to create a culture of, of, um, of good work environments, of good communication, conflict resolution, you know, and really just respecting one another. Um, and I think that that's, yeah. those are really important. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, too many people work in companies where they're disrespected and not, their voice is not yes. heard. Uh, so yes. cooperatives really can change that and honor people's voice and their contribution.
0: Mm. And so I, I talked to a lot of people who are feeling that way, that they just want to leave their line of work. And, it, and it's like, if, if people knew there was another way to go about in the workforce, and, you know, so you don't just have to completely exit. But, um, you know, the cooperative model, I think, could be transformational. Do you notice people wanting more people nowadays kind of wanting to move towards this model than maybe 10 years ago? Twenty years ago, yes,
1: definitely. I mean, it's been it's been great to see the growth of the cooperative movement in the last decade. Uh, you know, as mm-hmm. as I said when we started Local Sprouts Cooperative in two thousand seven, there was uh, only one other uh, worker cooperative in the state at that point, Fedco Seeds, which is a worker and consumer owned cooperative. Uh, and now there's about eight uh, worker cooperatives in the state um, from. Wow. Um, Several in the Portland area, Local Sprouts Cooperative, uh, Clean Bee, Cleaning Cooperative, um, Hmm. Jet Video, um, which they...
0: I didn't know they were cooperative. They they
1: preserved a neighborhood store, um, and the original owner sold it to the the cooperative. Um, And then in Maine, we also have Island Employee Cooperative, which um, is two grocery stores and a hardware variety store on Deer Isle. Um, there's about 35 worker owners there. That was conversion of those existing stores into a cooperative. Wow, so, you know, I have seen mean, that's, right. that's here in Maine, but all around the country, there's been a real increase in the number of worker cooperatives, but also in all sectors. Um, and I think you know the economic downturn, recession of 2008, was um, really. Made a lot of people question, you know, the the corporate model and the security of, um, of the corporate system, and really started to put a lot of cracks in that for a lot of people. And people started to look at what's alternatives, what are other structures that we could be uh, developing and working within that are more empowering, that are bringing power back to the local level, bring money back to the local level, uh, and yes. so. You know, I think that, along with other factors, has really led to an increase in uh, cooperatives over the last decade.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for helping to make this happen. It's. I think I I see this as um, being something that is going to just explode. I just you know I feel like people are going to want that, and so now I'm just I know that you also do think um, have worked with land, and. I believe that you are instrumental in, I think it's the, is it the Greater Portland Land Trust establishing that? I can't remember if I'm calling it the right name, but can you talk a little about what, um, how that works in terms of ownership of land, how a cooperative works in terms of ownership of land, and the land trust?
1: Yeah, so there's different ways for cooperatives to own land. Um, and so cooperatives and community land trusts are two different legal structures Um, for uh, owning land um, and putting land in common. Um, So I'll maybe share about cooperatives first and then talk about community land trust. So in a situation where land is owned cooperatively, there's a few different potentials there. So one is, I mean, is in housing where you can have housing cooperatives Um, and so For example, there's Raise Up Housing Cooperative in Lewiston, which owns houses together. They have about 15 units of housing in Lewiston. Um, And then also our organization, the Cooperative Development Institute, we work with mobile home parks, where we work with the residents to buy their land cooperatively. So those residents own their mobile homes uh, individually, but then the land underneath it is owned as the cooperative, and they make um, Hmm. decisions about that land together. Um, so that's that's one form of land ownership. We're also working with uh, farmers to look at um, how to own more land cooperatively for farming. Um, and so right now I've been working with New Roots Cooperative Farm, which is a group of Somali Bantu farmers in Lewiston, um, which have started a 30-acre farm. They don't own the land currently, but they're leasing it from Maine Farmland Trust with, and will be purchasing purchasing that land as well. Um, and so yeah. those four farmers and New Roots own um, own that farm together and they um, own it and they market together and they're sharing equipment together. And just getting that, that farm um, started this year. Uh, That's wonderful. Community land trusts. Land trusts operate a little bit differently. Um, there's land. So one, that land trusts are generally nonprofits. Um, so in a nonprofit Technically, kind of, no one owns it, but it's, it's governed for the public good. Um, but there can be definitely members of nonprofits um, and members of, of land trusts and community land trusts. Uh, and so yeah. land trusts preserve land for uh, um, conservation, for agricultural purposes, and then community land trusts also um, will preserve land for affordable housing as well. And so that um, and then community land trusts also sometimes combine housing and farming and other other usages. Uh so there's some great Maine has some great land trusts, both I mean conservation land trusts, we have um that are all throughout the state. We have Maine Farmland Trust, which is doing a lot of work in conserving farmland, and then a few um community land trusts. The Greater Portland Community Land Trust has been an effort that's been Tempting to get going for a while. I mean, it has um, established, but it has been, faced challenges in actually securing land yet in Portland or greater Portland. Um, there's also a land trust up um, outside of Lewis-Noburn called Land and Common Land Trust, which is working to c- combine housing and farming uh, together. So those are wow. some different different structures. So kind of they can act similarly, but they have some different legal Structures to them. One thing I want to uh, share around cooperatives in Maine is uh, we just re- released a report called Cooperatives Build a Better Maine. And mm-hmm. uh, it really looks at the role that cooperatives play in the state currently and what the potential for cooperatives to play in transforming ownership in our economy. Uh, and looking at that in securing housing and jobs and businesses um, and building our communities. And then also looking at how we can um, interact with uh, different parts of the economy. So looking at craft manufacturing and um, what would cooperatively owned tourism look like? How do we you know, take more of the, uh, those tourism dollars and, and put them into the hands of, of residents? Um, mm-hmm.
0: That's so, fantastic. Yeah, if
1: people want to <laughs> um, see that report, it can be downloaded at main.coop.
0: Main dot okay. co-op. Okay, c dot c o o p.
1: Yes, exactly. There's it's a it's a domain just right. for for co-ops.
0: Interesting. I never heard yeah, of that. So All right. You
1: can download the whole report there and the executive summary. Um, and that report is is actually uh, providing the foundation for growing a cooperative business association. Main, where really cooperatives can come together to advocate and promote uh, what we do and really build more uh, mutual support with one another, learning from one another and looking at how we can uh, grow a cooperative economy in the state.
0: Yeah. So I mentioned to you before uh, the interview, before we started the official interview about um, my perspective on this shift that's happening in our culture and people kind of um, the, the collective consciousness changing Um, and away from the broken (laughs) capitalistic system towards one of uh, more cooperative. But I think, you know, we're living in right now is 2017 after a pivotal presidential election. And a lot of people right now are, you know, feeling really afraid and maybe feeling like we've been set back for years and um, with a president who seems to be wanting that <laughs> in on the surface at least. So I'm wondering what your perspective is on that. You know, how does your work or how does the work moving towards this cooperative economy, how is that affected by, by the political climate right now?
1: The political climate right now is, is incredibly yeah. challenging. And I think it's, you know, definitely uh, the election of Trump uh, really called into question a lot of the work that, um, that I do and have done and, you know, really think about what what's effective and what do we need to do now, you know, and how yeah. can we move forward? And I think that for me, it has has really affirmed the importance of continuing to build uh, cooperatively owned um, businesses and working with communities to really uh Meet their basic needs together through cooperation. Um, yeah. And really work towards creating visions for what they want in their communities. Uh, and I think that the election really showed that there's, I mean, highlighted the division and disillusionment of our society, where, you know, yes. so many people are disillusioned with big business and big government and, you know, have lost the trust and those uh structures to meet their needs. Um yes. and so people, you know, are are looking for people, leaders to, you know, put their their trust into. But I think more importantly, people are looking for alternatives. People are looking for ways to to move beyond just a reliance upon either of those either the big business or big government and and build something that is um, meeting their meeting their needs together, and cooperatives can really do that. Um, they provide a space for people to be heard, um, to be valued, and and really feel that they can contribute to our future, and allow for people to take power into their own hands. Um, you know, when we yeah. think about democracy, and democracy is supposed to be based upon us having a voice and us being able to <clears throat> um, vote for for our leaders, yet at the same time, when we look at, you know, we work in um, environments where, you know, we often don't have that voice. And so I think, you know, for, cooperatives can empower us to create those businesses, those structures where we have a voice, where we're creating a destiny. And that has an impact on the political level, you know. And I think that the more that people <clears throat> are finding their own power and finding their own voice – the greater potential we have to affect change on, on, you know, whether it be in Augusta or in Washington, DC um, and, you know, and together and recognizing that like, we need to do that together. We need to work across these divisions and really find the common ground together. Um, and, you know, that's something again, saying that what we're working to do with cooperatives is, you know, not just not just build a business, but really look at how these cooperatives come together to form an ecosystem and form a new economy in our state and in our country. And, yeah. you know, yet again, it, it can't be just cooperatives alone. It needs to be cooperatives joining together with all different movements and all different solutions to really creatively um, work towards um, a new future.
0: So inspiring for me to hear you say that. Um, I just think that, you know, like everything you said, that people are looking for um, something different. And that, you know, I'm hoping that now, you know, whoever might listen to this interview will see that there is a a very real and um, uh, doable solution (laughs) through cooperatives, through just coming together and taking back personal responsibility and, you know, like using our collective energy to influence our leaders who do not. Control the country. We do, you know, <laughs> and that's like this shift that I think is happening right now. Even though it may not be at a conscious level, um, I think it's. I, I I feel it at least that this energy is shifted, and um, so thanks in large part to your work, Jonah, <laughs> that you've been doing for a long time. So, uh, any you know for somebody who may be listening and thinking, well, I want to start a cooperative or I want to start a land trust. Um, what do you, I mean, maybe we'll start with cooperative, at least the cooperative model, what, what can they do? Like, what's one thing they can start to do now? Or what, what, you know, what's kind of simple words of advice that you have?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, definitely, I mean, some of the the first pieces I would say is reaching out for resources, that there's a lot of different uh, organizations and resources that are out there that can support people. And, in developing cooperatives um our organization cooperative development is too um as a, we work with a variety of people that come to us and say you know that are interested in forming a cooperative and so we help to connect them with different information and trainings um and,
0: and what's your website yeah, people C, have that co
1: cdi.coop
0: okay cdi.coop okay great and
1: you know i think and one of the first things we we share with people is is Connecting with other people around your ideas um, and, you know, really starting to get people engaged that want to create something together. Um, Because that's the foundation of a cooperative is having a group of people coming together to meet their needs together. So, you know, talking about what your common needs are, um, you know, and looking at what your shared visions are. Um, And so, you know, really getting that group and, and starting to look at those needs, look at those visions, and then reach out to other people and projects. You know, there's, there's other, so many inspiring um, cooperatives, community projects that are out there and, and learning from them and connecting with them is so, is so vital um, because you can really, you know, learn from both their successes and challenges. And um, so, you know, I always encourage people to reach out to, other folks doing similar work. And, you know, generally people are excited to share about their work, um, and, you know, help other people in the process of forming their, their cooperative.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and your words. I, I, um, I'm really excited for people to listen to this. So thank you, well, thank you for I really having me on. It. Thank you for listening to this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Courageous Path podcast. And don't forget to subscribe or follow it here. To learn more about me, you can find me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton White of Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. Hope to see you next time and have a wonderful day.